2: Conversations on life, style, beauty, and relationships. It's the Velvet's Edge podcast with Kelly Henderson. Ingrid Clayton is here. She is a licensed clinical psychologist and author, focusing much of her work on complex trauma, PTSD, and recovering from narcissistic abuse. Hi, Ingrid. Thank you for being here.
3: Oh, thank you for having me.
2: Well, I was just telling you, I found your work on Instagram and I messaged you initially because you did a post on just self forgiveness and the importance of that. And that's been a huge piece of where I am in my journey right now. I find it so much easier to forgive other people for the yeah. things that have happened or that they've done or anything like that. But when it comes to forgiving myself, um, I had honestly just don't even really think about that being on the list, you know? is that a common thing with people coming out of any sort of traumatic situation just to really like be hard on themselves first?
3: Yes, it is a core piece of uh, a complex trauma survivor's experience. In fact, a big piece of having, you know, complex PTSD, if you have that diagnosis or just experiences of complex trauma is that we tend to be filled with this toxic shame. Mm -hmm. I am bad, you know? And so, yeah, self-compassion, self-forgiveness is the last house on the block that we ever go to. And yet that's exactly why it's such a fundamental piece of healing. And, you know, in my own personal process and in my work, I've found that the more I understand trauma and trauma responses, the more I'm able to forgive myself and have self-compassion, because when we look at that, we're just, you know, physiologically, our bodies are just doing exactly what they are designed to do, Mm -hmm. which is to seek survival. (laughs) Survival will always come first and that we have these trauma responses that are designed to keep us safe. Um, When I can see all of my behaviors through that lens, I suddenly make sense to myself and I go, oh, that's why I was compulsively in these dysfunctional relationships or leaning into substances. And you know, these things that I could have carried a lot of shame about, I suddenly go, oh, oh, right. These were trauma responses. And when I could see them as that, I can you know, put my hand on my heart, which to me is a big act of self-compassion mm-hmm and, um, start to let some of that toxic shame go.
2: Yeah. I mean, I love the the work that you've done around just the importance of understanding our own nervous system, mm-hmm. because to me that too, it's like when you speak of a trauma response and I kind of want to get into this in a second, but I have a lot of listeners write into me and they're like, how do I know if I have trauma or not? <laughs> and, yeah. um, well, I'm like, it's 2022. So chances are you probably do of some kind, you know, like after the last couple of years, I think we've all survived something. Mm -hmm. Um, but also like one of the things that I've heard you say that has also been taught to me is just noticing our responses to things. And the PTSD response is something that's just kind of it's like an out of character, out of body, all of these things, but it is something trying to keep us safe. And so until we can recognize it as a trauma response that we can't really do anything about it, it's like you're powerless or that's been my experience at least. So can you talk a little bit about your journey and just, I mean, I know you were going to school, you're maybe even working as a therapist at this point and said, oh my gosh, I think I have trauma. Or you finally were like, I think I have PTSD. So what was that part of your journey like?
3: Yeah. So I want to just speak to the thing you said right before that first, okay. just quickly. When someone says, well, how do I know? How do I know? Yeah. trauma?" I think one way is to look at your symptoms, okay. to look at the patterns that you keep repeating, that you don't want to repeat, that you can't stop, that you feel powerless over. I think that's often more of a indicator of trauma than figuring out the thing that may have happened in your past. Because sometimes we can't ever point to that. You may mm. not know what it is, and that can be for lots of different reasons, developmentally, maybe um, you weren't able to consciously understand something that happened or often we dissociate when we experience a traumatic event. So um, I say, look to the stuck places and see if you can place them in the context of what we now know about trauma responses. There's fight, flight, freeze, and fawn. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of great information. I talk about you know a lot of those um, on my Instagram page and, and um, in my book a little bit. So Um, I just wanted to speak to that. But yes. so personally, how I ended up talking about these things on Instagram is is essentially I was a trauma therapist, a clinical psychologist, as you mentioned, who did not know that I have classic complex PTSD. And so when I started to piece that together, I thought if I'm talking about these things all day, Mm -hmm. every day, and i have all this knowledge and i'm still so defended against my own symptoms and i'm still minimizing particularly um because of part of my traumatic experiences through narcissistic abuse which involved a lot of gaslighting so gaslighting is A manipulation tactic that is designed to make you question your reality. So it's you know it was effective. (laughs) Growing up in gaslighting was effective, and it it didn't make me um, forget what I experienced or question it a hundred percent. But it turned the dial down to where I was like, maybe it wasn't that bad. Maybe I maybe I am exaggerating just a little bit. You know, I it, it erodes your self trust. Yeah. And so here I was working in the field, having all these amazing tools. And of course, there was a reason I was drawn to that on some level, but it didn't unlock um, the fact that I was living with so much unresolved complex trauma. So seeds were planted along the way. Um, One that I, I talk about in my memoir is sitting in a very intimate training at a treatment center where I worked many Many years ago, and Bessel van der Kolk he wrote The Body Keeps the Score. Um such was doing a, yes, it's it's sort mm. of the Bible in in drama. <laughs> um and he was he was doing a training and he was sharing a case study. And gosh, to this day my body has such a strong reaction when I think about this moment because it was the first time that I had ever heard the things that I had experienced and trauma Mm -hmm. in the same sentence. So he was telling my story, but like I mentioned, we're full of this toxic shame. And all I felt when I heard him tell my story was, Nobody can know that I identify with this client that he's talking about because I was there as a clinician. I was there to help people. And I felt like, how can I help people if I'm still so stuck in this part of my life? Right. So I was working at a treatment center and I had quite a bit of um, recovery, personal recovery myself at that point. So I felt like, okay, I have something to offer here. But when it came to the trauma piece, I just felt like, oh, this, it was so shameful that it it planted a seed that, oh, maybe trauma is a word that is personal to me, but it is so shameful. I couldn't touch it for, I don't know, 10, 15 years later when my life (laughs) finally evolved in such a way where it was like, you cannot keep living with these buried burdens, thinking that you're broken one minute more. Mm. and basically everything has to change and um this this writing started pouring through me my own story started pouring through me and the long story short is that I wrote long enough um, about all of these things that needed to be said that I could finally see them all in black and white from a therapist's perspective and I could see it not only do I have complex PTSD but this is why, because I grew up with this narcissistic stepdad who fits that bill classically as well in terms of all of his behaviors. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's what brought me here. And now that I'm like, you know, I've connected some of the dots. I just, I feel really passionate about, sharing this information with other people in a way that they can hopefully digest it and, and that it resonates as personal, which is why, even though I'm a therapist, I share my own story because sometimes the clinical language doesn't, we can't, we don't know how it relates to us, right?
2: It's hard to connect.
3: It's really hard to connect. I knew about narcissism. I didn't know what that had to do with the man who walked around my house in his underwear growing up. It was like there were two separate things. So I think often it's through shared story, mm-hmm. through that type of connection from one person to another that we go, oh, it's why hearing a case study about, you know, that Bessel van der Kolk was sharing was so impactful because I heard another survivor's story. Right. And it reflected back my truth in a way that reading the DSM never could. Right. So Um, yeah, so I hope that answers your question. I
2: feel like I went. And no, it does. It gave me 800 other questions. So let me try to remember (laughs) them. I do love that you make the point about, um, just pointing out, was it really that bad? I know that's something that I have faced in my life and I've heard a lot of other people, um, come up against that. It's like we gaslight ourselves almost, especially if you're coming out of such a situation where you were gaslit and manipulated so hard, I think owning your own reality has been, and especially like I'm someone, a recovering codependent. And so that's a really tough one because I quickly want to go to everyone else and be like, this was real, right? Like this is, this did happen. And like, I I can see myself reacting in these big ways, but wait, was I just the full problem? Like, did I make all of that up? And like, were my trauma responses completely made up in the entire issue in this relationship, you know, like I'll do that to myself. So I do think it's really important when people with experience like you who have trauma in their past, but also have, um, the book smarts about it to be able to Mm -hmm. say to us, no, that is real. And that's actually part of the post-traumatic symptom, Mm -hmm. you know, to be question yourself. Um, the other thing I wanted to bring up is just, I keep hearing people say things like, well, narcissist is such a buzzword now. And so it's almost, and I do agree, like maybe we're overusing it the same way we overuse everything in our world, but like, it almost is um, upsetting to me how much people are saying that now, because I'm worried it's like taking away the survivor of narcissistic abuse experience to be like, again, go back into that. It wasn't that bad. Like, do you see that happening with people?
3: I see it happening with every diagnosis that has ever been on the books that we take something, we co-opt it and we go, and and actually I can't stand this, but you know, it's happened since the beginning of time is that we go, oh, that's so OCD, right? And so taking- a true obsessive compulsive disorder, and we're we're using it in this colloquial way that really minimizes and diminishes what that actual experience is. Um, so I think, generally speaking, you know, culturally, we need to be aware about how we're using language, mm-hmm. and um, and I think particularly when you're talking about mental health, that that yes, what you're saying is real, is that it tends to diminish. The actual experience and and what I'll say about narcissistic abuse in particular, you know, it's not like I didn't go to many a therapist uh, on my road to recovery or many 12 step programs. And I mean, I was earnestly looking for help. Yeah. I didn't know exactly what I needed. I didn't have this language that I have now. But no one along the way ever said to me, Ingrid, this is trauma and these are trauma responses. And no one ever said, this is narcissistic abuse. And I think in part because if you haven't experienced it, it is it is so difficult to wrap your mind around how debilitating and devastating that really is. So it is a real, it is a real thing. It is not to be uh, talked about lightly, in my opinion. And I don't, I take it very seriously. Mm-hmm. I'm a clinician and and early when I started speaking out more publicly, I would get some feedback like, oh, you're, you're talking about a mental health condition in a way that's very stigmatizing. And I thought, you know what? You're right. I am because I'm saying narcissistic personality disorder. I'm using it in conjunction with narcissistic abuse. And yet I'm speaking from a survivor's perspective primarily. And I know how life giving and affirming it is to have this language and then all of the shared language around that. What is gaslighting? What is love bombing? What is trauma bonding? How has this, you know, been activated in my system in a way um that it's way more important to me to to use a survivor's language um than it is to be worried about, yeah, well, well, maybe I am stigmatizing a personality disorder. Um, And yet it is the nature of that personality disorder that it it can be so destructive and coming from someone who literally has no empathy or awareness of their impact in a way that they will ever change that I want people to know, yes, this is what you're dealing with. This is how brutal that is. And yeah, it's, it's just, it's a shame that it can be talked about. So casually,
2: what does it even mean stigmatizing it? I don't, I was, I've been trying to process that while you said that. And I don't think I know.
3: Well, it's sort of saying that, um, it's, it's, it's painting it in a broad brush and, and, um, and saying that it's, that it's negative, that it's, you're mm-hmm. saying that someone who has this disorder, that maybe they're even a trauma survivor themselves. Um, That you are, you're just speaking negatively. There's a stigma attached to this disorder, and that I am reinforcing that by using language like narcissistic abuse. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, what I say in my book is that I'm aware that not everybody. Well, first of all, narcissism itself is a spectrum, and what I'm talking about is the personality disorder, Um, and not everybody, even with the disorder, is necessarily abusive. Um, not all abusers are have narcissistic personality disorder. I can differentiate. But in mm-hmm. my experience, those two things lived together and they had a particular impact. And it's a particular impact that survivors who have been there Um, can all, it's like a textbook, you know, we've all experienced so many similar shades of the same exact thing. And, and unfortunately, because it goes missed by so many, even, you know, mental health professionals, it is the survivors who have sort of banded together and cobbled together this ability to help one another. um, Because... We haven't been served. So I'm like, well, you know what? Then I'm going to do whatever I can do to try to help prop up and support the survivor. And I'm okay with that.
2: Yes. If you know anything about me, you know I am a massive creature of comfort. It is one of my top priorities in life to make my surroundings comfortable at all times. So when I found Cozy Earth, I quickly scooped up all of the luxurious bedding and loungewear that I could. The temperature-regulating bamboo joggers and pullover crew add comfort and a touch of style to any travel ensemble, and their bedding comes in the most adorable totes, making it a super easy gift to give anyone. Discover your next destination for ultimate comfort at Cozy Earth. Visit CozyEarth.com and use our code Edge at the checkout for an exclusive 35% off and let them know we sent you when you're at the checkout.
0: This is it. Your moment.
2: Well, I appreciate that. I think it's been super helpful to me. Why is it something that so many clinicians miss, especially nowadays? Like, I'm just like, hello. Don't, like, I don't get well, it.
3: I hope that that's changing. You know, um, for people who know Dr. Romani's work, I think yes. she's one of the experts on this, this subject. And um, I have had the privilege of getting to know her through she's endorsed my book. And um, she was saying that she's going to be starting A training program specifically on narcissistic abuse for clinicians, because the reality is what we even get in graduate school is so tiny, right? And then Mm. unless you go and you work with these populations, you don't really get a sense of, of, uh, you know, it's kind of on the job training. And so if you haven't worked in that particular field, if someone comes through the door, I think this is just also human is that we tend to want to see the best in people. And we want to knit relationships back together. Mm -hmm. And we think that that's, (laughs) you know, part of the job. And if you haven't been impacted, I just genuinely believe it is so hard to understand a human being being so calculating. And I want to say the word evil. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Because that is what it feels like. I think it's hard to understand that that even exists in the world. It's hard to hold space for that. And um, and so unless you know, you don't really know. And you want to yeah. give everybody the best. Of the doubt, which is also what survivors are doing. So if survivors are going, well, maybe it wasn't that bad, and you know uh, they just have these issues, and well, I have my issues, and we all have to compromise. If that's what the survivor is even presenting, I think a therapist wants to hook into that and be helpful. Oh well, I can help you, you know, be a better partner and show up for your side of the street and. I think they come by it honestly, but it's the, unfortunately, the consequences are devastating because the real root of the problem is just completely missed.
2: Mm. Yeah. And it's so interesting. I mean, I've talked about this a lot on this podcast before, but um, as someone who's been in a couple of these situations, whether it was work or just romantic relationships, friendships, I've you know, I'm an equal opportunity relationship person there. (laughs) Um, I I obviously have some patterns I'm having to work on, but I think that a lot of times for me, in some ways, a a way for me to actually soothe my nervous system, especially in those dynamics is to say, oh, maybe it's me because that's something I can do something about.
3: (laughs) That's where we feel like we have control. And also the root of a lot of complex trauma is in childhood. Okay, Okay, So particularly when you're talking about wounds in childhood, developmentally, we literally need our caregivers to survive. Mm -hmm. So if there is a wound there, and we see this all the time, there's so many examples of it where even you see a child that has been maybe so deeply abused by, by a parent. And the one thing that they want when they're taken away is their parent. Yeah. They will never vilify the parent. They will make it their fault because it feels safer. I need my parent to survive. And so that not only does that make sense developmentally, but when we look at the fawning trauma response, which it sounds like you probably identify with. I certainly identify yes, with.
2: For sure. Is that
3: it The fawning trauma response basically shows up as the people pleasing codependency. I abandon myself in service of you because if I can take care of you, then maybe you'll take care Mm -hmm. of me. What we discover is that what makes us feel safe, and I kind of put that in quotes because it's not real, true, complete, whole safety, but it's like a semblance of safety, like enough connection to sort of feel like safety. If we find that by abandoning ourselves in service of someone who's willing to exploit us, and this is the reason why, in part, you've experienced it with bosses and friends and romantic relationships, is that literally our body now is imprinted with this experience that says, I feel safest when I'm being exploited. And that's why looking at ourselves through the lens of trauma finally allowed me to make sense to myself because I sat on a million therapist couches and I said, why do I keep ending up in this same relationship with a different face? What am I doing here? And I, you know, I'd like to think I was smart enough and I was analyzing it and I looked what happened in my childhood, but until I understood that about trauma responses, And how we are wired to seek safety and that my body developed in a system where safety was found by abandoning myself. Mm -hmm. I had to go find people that were willing to take advantage of that to feel this kind of faux safety. And then I could lean into, oh gosh, so I have to do the hard work of setting boundaries that feel horrible because they're going against the grain of what has always felt safe. And lean into relationships that don't have those crazy highs and crazy lows that I confused for love and go, oh, well, this, you know, this feels different, but maybe it's healthier. And like, just practice, literally practice this new way of being in my body, of being in relationship to safety and being relationship and being in the world. And that's why, you know, I started out by saying, when I put these pieces together, it's sort of like, everything has to change because everything in me had to change in order for me to access my whole self for the first time, really in my whole life.
2: That's, yeah, go ahead. Well,
3: well, where Where I wasn't, just compulsively repeating and living in these perpetual trauma responses that we often get confused, like we confuse it for our personality. We go, oh no, this is just who I am. No, that's not who I am. Yeah, That's who I had to become in order to feel like I could survive the environment I was in.
2: Right. Yeah. And I was going to say the thing that I heard so much in that, that I've really bumped up against myself is when you are healing, you're you're going to have those, you're still going to feel those draws to the unhealthy. So like, yeah. so what you just described, like I say, I'm a drawn to people who exploit me. Yeah. Um, and that has been a, a, that's 100%. I've never heard that definition, but that was so my story. And mm-hmm. so over and over, I've repeated that same thing where it's like, I go into a situation, I overshare, then they use it against me. And then, you know, it's just this cycle, yes. but what's hard, for me now is trying to do it differently and learn new patterns. Mm-hmm. It's uncomfortable to be in a situation where that's not happening. I don't know how to do it. It you is what I'm saying. not only
3: uncomfortable in my experience, oh, it, it is deeply painful. Yeah. And that, you know, I say that trauma healing is the bravest and hardest thing that we will ever do. And that the healing, in my experience, and I've witnessed it a lot with my clients, the healing hurts worse Mm. than whatever wounds that we know that we're healing from. And that makes sense when you think about it, because we're finally feeling the things that we've been abandoning Mm. ourselves so we didn't have to feel, and turning to substances, and Mm. staying in perpetual motion and perfectionism, and all these things. We're finally the the trauma responses are receding and we're dropping into our actual bodies and we're feeling those things. Mm-hmm. And it's major. I mean, I, I never want to sugarcoat it. it. It is heavy lifting, hard work and a hundred percent of the time. I think it's worth it.
2: Yes. Okay. And I want to talk about why it's worth it after I have this question, because I actually, it helps me even though I'm still in the midst of the healing and so the pain and all of that, like, I wish you could say to me, Oh, Kelly, tomorrow it's going to feel better. You know I mean? Like, oh, or whatever. I wish there was a yeah. map or a calendar or any of that shit, but there's not. And you just have yeah. to go through it. Um, I do know just from healing work I've done in the past, like you, the only way out is through. So if you keep going. It does get better. But it helps me to hear that that is actually the hardest part. And I think actually Dr. Romney is one of the people who I heard say this specifically about narcissistic abuses, Mm. getting out. And then Mm. what follows that is oftentimes the worst part. So like, I think a lot of times in our society, you think, well, if something's bad, if a relationship is unhealthy, get out. And then that ends that. Mm. And it's like, if you're doing this actually, that's when the process really starts and some of the yeah. pain really starts. And so often you'll have people saying like, well, what, what's wrong with you that you still are dealing with this or whatever. But it's like, yeah, especially in narcissistic situations, that's when it really can escalate, you know, and things right. get way so worse before they get about, better. You're,
3: you're talking about two things. That I want to kind of okay. tease it apart of it so hard. Okay. One is One is from a trauma perspective, which we've been discussing, right? So you are feeling these feelings that you were avoiding by kind of staying in the chaotic system. Yes. That is so hard. But next to that, when you're talking about narcissistic abuse is the post separation abuse, which can escalate and those tactics can become really scary and so much worse when you're talking about walking away from that level of an abusive relationship. Mm -hmm. It is why in part people end up staying. It is why people end up going back, you know, um, because that's real. So, so both things are true. And so, yes, it's not this idea that like, Oh, if you know, why can't you just, you know, it's like, no, 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 no. Um, what we have to face on the other side is is big and to your other point it is a process and and every individual's process is different and i yeah. always say i wish i had a magic wand you know i do i really no, do i do too part-
2: i wish you did too
3: <laughs> <laughs> i want to find the shortcut you know that's um but the shortcuts are always long cuts and what yeah. we have to do is just be as present to our whole selves as as we can with all the support that we can have.
2: Well, I do think that's one of the benefits. I mean, I I think it can be scary who we're getting information from on social media, but Mm -hmm. it opens us up into a deeper, I mean, like there's just, I would have never found you otherwise, you know, like the ways to connect with people right now are just so vast. And so even hearing you say like, well, yes, that is the hardest part and it gets better. It's always worth it. And, um, to keep walking through it's just, it's good. I think to me, that's, that's the hope is that I can hear my story in someone else and I can connect on this bigger level with someone I've never met from across the country. You know, like we have these opportunities nowadays that we're given that really are really healing.
3: Oh, I'm so grateful for the community piece of it. I wish we had this was growing up. I tell you, I know the downsides of social media too, and those are real, but the access to information and free information is powerful. And that is also why I'm committed to putting stuff out there on Instagram, right? Because it's these digestible memes, memes. It's a little bit at a time, you know, the trauma stuff and the narcissism stuff can be so overwhelming. I can't tell you how many books I bought over the years I haven't probably read one of them because they were too triggering. (laughs)
2: They get so overwhelming. Yes.
3: So there's also something really beautiful about just these, you know, smaller pieces that Mm -hmm. we can get one little layer at a time that we can actually read and hear and see and relate to. I'm so grateful for that. Yeah.
2: Yeah, me too.
0: This is it. Your moment.
4: The cat sat on the Time is a luxury for us, especially if you're a mom. That's why we need a skincare routine that's easy, fast, and gives us results. Plus, what if your products had thousands of five star reviews? Were natural and affordable? Well, say hello to Dime Beauty. Dime Beauty is clean, high end skincare that is affordable, and it really works. Not sure where to start? I highly recommend the Work System. It's everything you need in one powerful package. Take out the guesswork with a proven routine that includes a gentle yet effective cleanser, a super skin toner, two incredible serums, and two luxurious moisturizers. See what everyone is raving about. Dime has over 2 million happy customers, and their product reviews are literally five stars. And right now, through Monday, Dime has their Spring Into Saving Sale. Get 25% off site-wide. Go to dimebeautyco.com for 25% off every product on the site. That's dimebeautyco.com for 25% off. But hurry, the Spring Into Saving Sale ends Monday. Go to dimebeautyco.com. Well, so what is, you mentioned,
2: um, you think that it's worth it every time. Why? Why is it worth it?
3: Oh, that question always just makes me emotional when I really run it through. Like, well, why, Ingrid? Yeah, why? And if I go back to my body, it's worth it because living with unresolved complex trauma, like we already talked about, the shame is so devastating. But I genuinely genuinely thought that I was just broken Mm -hmm. because I had tried so hard. I, everything from, I organized an intervention when I was 16 years old for my family with social services. Fast forward to, you know, I'm now sober for 27 years. I've been in multiple 12 step programs. I've sat on 8 million therapist couches. I've done the yoga retreats. I've practiced meditation and still at the end of the day, I became a clinical psychologist, three degrees in psychology became like, I tried all of the things to overcome what happened to me. And yet it was still living in me in such a way that I genuinely couldn't trust myself. Mm. I couldn't see myself. I didn't like myself. And I thought there was something really wrong with me. I do not believe that anymore. And as a mom to now a seven-year-old boy, I believe that we have the power to break some of these generational patterns that have been handed down since the beginning of time. I'm never going to do it perfectly. (laughs) I'm never going to catch everything. But I am committed to regulating my nervous system and getting as, you know, sort of aware and Um, cultivating this self-compassion and self-love in a way that I can so that I don't inadvertently pass down that same critical lens. Because if I'm seeing myself that way, I know I'm seeing my little boy that way. And it wasn't consciously, I could read all the parenting books. They didn't matter because it was about this deeper instinctual Mm. conditioning that has a life of its own. The, The nervous system has a different Language, right? It's not this intellectual understanding. I could read just like I went and got all these degrees. I could read every parenting book. But if I'm still relating to the way that I was blamed and criticized for everything that happened to me, I'm still holding that as though it does belong to me. Guess what I'm bringing to my relationship with my son? And so when I did this deeper work and I finally felt the impact of these traumatic events, which was brutal, set in motion, some healthier boundaries, hardest thing I've ever done.
1: Mm.
3: I instantly knew that I had the capacity to be a better mom. I felt the change. I, I can't even articulate it, but I knew that it made a difference. And for that reason alone, I would do it all over again. But but my relationship to myself, I feel like I know who I am finally. I'm not trying to figure it out. I'm not trying to arrive at some place. It's like mm. these atrophied parts of, of my being have been filled in with color and character and magic and creativity and connection and all these things I was longing for in a way. I go... They're in me. They're in me. It's nothing I have to chase and find and figure out. They always belong to me. I can take ownership of them again. I can be a fuller self in the world. And yeah, I hope I'm I hope I'm articulating it in a way. You that, are. Okay. Yeah, because that's why it's worth it. And I've seen so many people take that same path. And, and there will always be a time where they come to me and they go, Ingrid, it's not working. I'm doing it wrong. This feels horrible. I shouldn't be feeling this bad, or whatever it is. And I go, you know what? This is what healing looks like. This is what healing looks like. And we want it to look like the hills. We want, it, we want it just to look really like the happy, the happy, shiny side where we're all yes. up and looking cute and like in all these successful relationships, and I've made a billion dollars. Like. We all want it to look like some finish line fantasy version of that. I get it. I do too. But what that robs us of is the truth and the reality of what it means to come into our bodies and do this work in a way where we are just knitting back together a relationship with our true self. And and that's what healing looks like. Sometimes it looks like Being in a puddle on the floor, just sobbing it out because of what you're grieving, what you've actually lost, what you never had to begin with, what you're never going to have again because you're walking away from toxic things that even though we know they're bad for us, it feels horrible to leave them. I mean, this is big stuff Mm -hmm. and my bias, but I think it's worth it every time.
2: Well, what you just described makes it sound very worth it to me, and I'm so grateful that people are having conversations like what you're saying and what you're putting out there on Instagram so that when it does get muddy and when you do have the bad days and the puddle on the floor, you keep going. Because I know, I, especially when I first started my recovery journey, I was like, okay, well, I... I'm doing all this work and I'm Mm -hmm. doing, you know, step work and I'm seeing a therapist and I'm whatever. I just thought that like the reward at the end of that yeah, was a perfect relationship or my life just looked perfect and it was just only uphill from there. And it has not played out that way. It's gotten Mm -hmm. better. And when Mm -hmm. things do come up, you know, I tend to know I have different tools and that's, you know, I guess the most that people can hope for. And hopefully that just keeps getting easier and easier and easier. Um But yeah, like it, it's messy and ugly. And I think as a society too, we're just so programmed to just only want to see the really shiny, pretty stuff. And that's hard. And it puts so much pressure on ourselves mm-hmm. to where until you crash, you're not really willing to just be honest. Like, Hey, like not every day is picture perfect and that's okay. Like, I'm still successful and still living a great life
3: because I'm human, and this because I'm is, human, yes, a human condition, and it's the other reason why I've become more and more willing as a clinician to show how I'm still actively engaged in a healing process, right, in places that still feel tricky for me because I never want to give the impression, well, Kelly, that's nice that you're still in process. But I'm <laughs> And maybe if you try, maybe if you try harder or, you know, X, Y, and Z, you'll get there. Man, oh man, we have enough shame that we're wading through. I do not want to inadvertently pile on. And so I go, yeah, this is what my process may not look like everyone's, but I'm willing to go, oh, this is, I had an emotional flashback and this is what that looks like. And here's how I was still engaging in a trauma response that wasn't necessarily serving me and what I'm doing differently about it. And, um, I wish more people in the mental health field in particular would do that Mm -hmm. because otherwise we go to anyone who's hung a shingle and says they're a therapist and we go, Oh, you have all the answers and you are perfect. Yeah. And I'm going to endow you with all of this, like whatever. And, um, it's like, no, we're in this together. Do I have Mm -hmm. a lot of information and tools? Yeah, I sure do. But we're doing this together, Mm -hmm. which gives, you know, you in this case, because I'm speaking to you, hopefully, a little more agency around like, yes, I can do this, right? Because I'm just you're a person. I'm a person. Right. Okay, cool. Cool. Let's do this.
2: Well, and the other thing that that does for me is, you know, like I as a like I said earlier, a person who wants to go to anyone else to tell me how to live my life. Going to a therapist can become even almost a hindrance in some ways for that reason. Cause I'm like, Hey, like I have an awesome therapist here and she has saved my life. I feel. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. ultimately at the end of the day, I have to save my own life. (laughs) So like she helped me get on the right track and thank God for all the information she has taught me over the years but Mm. she can't herself save me. And I put her in that position for a really long time. And, um, again, it puts you back in that, like, I don't know what to do for me. I can't trust myself, which just keeps the, my cycle of toxicity in life going, you know, like someone else tell me how to do this, fix me all this stuff. And it's like, yeah, really getting the information is so helpful, but having other people, remind me they're also on a human journey is Mm -hmm. super helpful because it just, like you said, puts us kind of on even an even playing field where we can work together versus like the one up.
3: And it sounds like you do have such a great therapist because I also know, even personally, it's an easy trap for a therapist to fall in. Do I yeah. like feeling like I have all the answers? Of course. Do I like feeling like, oh, you really need me? I mean, right. That's amazing. And now I'm being effective, and you're happy because you're walking away with these answers, and yet it's in service of you know staying stuck. And of so, therapist who can. Like own the fact that that might feel really good for thirty seconds, and then go okay, but that's not my job,
2: right? Right, <laughs> not
3: my job. How can I have all the answers for you if I see you for fifty minutes a week? I mean, it's sort of absurd, <laughs> right? It's like right. I, I also don't want lots of Ingrid's running around, right? I want like an in, an in Ingrid, and you know, all of the. Every- I want you to be in your body, and your right. life, and your, you know. I, and, and we can only do that by you living your authentic path.
2: Oh, yeah. It's such a trap because even like having a podcast, I think, you know, I get to interview amazing people who have a lot of expertise in certain areas. And so I start getting DMs of like, well, oh, what, yeah. a, you know, do I have trauma? And I'm like, oh God, don't come to me and ask. <laughs> but, but it is a temptation. I would be lying if I didn't say yes. it's a temptation for me because I've gotten more information because of these conversations and the work that I've done to not want to say, to break it down. Because then in some weird way in my head, I'm like, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, all my pain was worth it because look, I can help somebody with it now. Mm -hmm. Not that sharing our stories isn't, but it's just like, what's my motivation? And am I like actually working with them? Or am I just wanting my ego to get a hit so that I feel like Yay, me, A plus today or something, you know?
3: Yeah, I think you're right about just owning what our motivation is because I think both are true that it is useful to go, oh, I do have more information and you're asking me a question that I can happen to answer and I wish you well on that path, right? Right. Or it feels like I don't really know the answer, but I feel like I need to give one and maybe if I can give one, that means something about, you know, just to check out, like what am I... Experiencing. That's the language of trauma recovery. I think with almost any modality, if you're talking about somatic experiencing, EMDR, internal family systems, all these things, we are constantly saying, what are you experiencing now? Mm. What are you noticing now? And those curiosities allow us to drop into our body where this wisdom lives. Mm. And we can kind of check out like, hmm, what am I experiencing? Oh, I feel anxious. Oh, I feel like I'm on the hook to have all the answers. I feel like I want to have all whatever right. it
2: is. Yeah, so
3: that information tends to live when we can sink down in our bodies and really listen to that wisdom. You know, that's where it tends mm. to lie.
2: The body keeps the score. Mm. Um, Well, your book, this is actually your second book. It's called Believing Me. Tell us a little bit about the book. I love that title, by the way.
3: Thank you. Uh, yeah. So this is, this is the book that, um, that I want to, I was going to say, and then I stopped myself cause I've never said it quite like that, but it felt true. So I'm going to say it. This is the book that saved my life because I had no intentions of ever, in a million years, never on my horizon, I'm going to write a memoir. I'm going to write a memoir on childhood trauma and narcissistic. There's <laughs> no one ever. And, right. and the reality is, is I didn't even know that that's what I was writing for about three years. I was just, after my stepdad died, and I was aware that I felt safer in the world than I had ever felt ever. I was being woken in the middle of the night, almost like clockwork every single night with these essays that I had to get out of bed. I had to go to my kitchen table and start writing these things. They were fully intact scenes from my own life as though they were just waiting for me to write them down. And I knew it felt important. I knew I couldn't stop and it felt like a little bit scary, like it was coming at me so hard and fast. And then in every kind of waking moment, I'd be in the shower and I'd be like, here comes another one. I have to kind of capture it. And, um, over time through this, through this writing process, like I said, I was able to look at it through this lens of a therapist and, um, and discovered, oh my gosh, I, I was, these essays were actually The traumatic events that I experienced, and like all the evidence that I could amass in one place so I could finally see how it hung together. And then my trauma responses, the way that I instinctively held and reacted to all of that through all of these different ways, through fawning and flight and and addictions and codependency and all the things, perfectionism, and you know, to then once I had all of those in place, it was like, oh, so almost like a now what, like, well, what does real healing mean? And I had done some trauma work. um, But like I said, I think before that, I really had to look at these relationships that I still had in my life, that were still operating under the same assumption that it was my fault, and I was the one who was broken. And, um, you know, the, the other piece alongside the writing is that I literally called anyone who crossed my mind. I became so bold in this way that it's still shocking to me because even though I've talked about my story and therapy forever, I've never gone back to the key players. Like I literally found my counselor from high school and I called social services in Colorado where I grew up. And I, I just wanted to understand what did this look like to you? What do you remember? Um, and. I ended up having some conversations that I never could have seen them coming. I got information that I wished that I had had my whole life. Some pieces were put in place and basically what I was doing again I didn't know it at the time, but I was I was basically saying to myself, I'm going to do whatever it takes to validate myself and my experiences. I'm going to take my truth back as forcefully and in as big a way as I possibly, because it needed to be that big in order to kind of take away this feeling that I'd been carrying and self-gaslighting myself for so long that it wasn't that bad and it wasn't a big deal. And, you know, you accept people for who they are and you have more support and resource and information. It's okay if they, you know, still see you as a (laughs) compulsive liar and, you know, whatever. It's like, um, so Believing Me then became the title because that was what this five-year process was of doing any and everything I possibly could to take care of myself in ways that, quite frankly, no one else ever did. And that's the beauty, I think, of trauma recovery when you said, you know, no therapist can do it. Like, I had to do it. I had to rescue myself. And, and this book is that, is that journey where it started and where it took me. And, um, as honestly as I can articulate every step along the way, um, is, is yeah. What, what this book is. I'm, I'm so proud of it, to be honest. Yes. Yeah, the hardest thing I've ever done and the most healing and helpful thing I've ever done.
2: So it goes, it seems.
3: Yes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I'm going to put the link to the book in the description of this podcast, but where else can people find you? I know I've mentioned your Instagram a couple times. Oh, mm-hmm. So where are you on Instagram?
3: Uh, at Ingrid Clayton, PhD is uh, my name on Instagram. And Uh, On my website, which is also just my name, ingridclayton.com, you can uh, get on my mailing list. And uh, I think at some point I'll be doing some workshops in the future. There's little little evidence of that starting to pop up, but um, nothing solid yet. But if people want to stay in the loop, that's probably the best way is to get on the mailing list.
2: Okay. And then for people listening that I know, I think I've seen on your Instagram, you're not taking any more personal clients right now. So If there are people listening that are resonating with what you're saying or, you know, my story or your story, what do you recommend? Like, what is a good first tangible step that we can tell people?
3: Yeah, that's such a great question. So there are several things. Um, One is to follow your curiosity. And so if you're like, oh, trauma responses, like that's, I don't really know that language. Yeah, Um, I think social media is a great way to dive in. Like, look at hashtag trauma response. Uh, What is fawning? The flight response. Like, so start to get more information that way. I also think Pete Walker's work on complex trauma. He's a therapist and author. His website is like chock full of just great information. Um, okay. I think it's dashwalker.com walkercom um, So getting more information, what is this nervous system regulation? How are people doing that? There's a lot that we can do on our own. And I just love that. I find it so empowering that you can start exactly as you are, where you are, how you are. And if you are looking to maybe get some more direct one-on-one support and have access to therapy, um, I say, bring that same curiosity and go, Oh, well, what's this EMDR thing? That sounds interesting. And um, I say, if you're in the state. Because it's different outside of the States. But if you're in the States, the uh, psychology today therapist directory is pretty mm-hmm. comprehensive. So it's all over the country. You can just type in your zip code and then someone's specialty. So okay. I in trauma, and then you can read their bios. But I would then call the therapist and I would say, I think what I'm talking about is complex trauma, which is also synonymous with relational trauma, childhood trauma, developmental trauma. Um, do you work with that? And if the yeah. answer is yes, then you can say, how do you work with that? And they should have at least one specific trauma training Uh On their tool belt, and that can be EMDR, Somatic Experiencing, CBT has some specific trauma therapies, um, internal family systems. So they should have at least one, if not a couple, at their disposal, and then they should be able to tell you why is that effective, right? So every nervous system is different, every person is different. But I think just being able to ask these questions about like, well, what do you do and why do you think it would be helpful? I think oftentimes clients don't realize they're allowed to ask all of these questions, Yeah. right? Um, What does it mean that you're a trauma therapist? What does that mean to me? And then if the narcissistic abuse piece is also part of your story or you suspect that it might be, I would ask if they also have experience with that or at least with emotional abuse um, cause it is a specific thing also. And so to know that you're working with someone who, who has some sense of that is really helpful.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Those are great tips. You guys, I'm going to put all the just, uh, links that we discussed in the description of this podcast. Thank you so much. This was, I know this was so validating for me and I just, I feel mm-hmm. like I could talk to you for a million years. So maybe we'll have to have you back. on Oh, I so <laughs> enjoyed it
3: feels so genuine and real. And uh, thank you for, for asking me to come. It's been nothing but a pleasure.
2: Oh, great. I'm so glad. And you guys, thank you so much for listening. Go check out Ingrid on Instagram. She's got great videos and it's a good way to another good way to dip your toe in. And if any of this stuff interests you. So Ingrid, thank you so much. And thank you guys for listening. Thanks for listening to the Velvet's Edge podcast with Kelly Henderson, where we believe everyone has a little velvet and a little edge. Subscribe for more conversations on life, style, beauty, and relationships. Search Velvet's Edge wherever you get your podcasts.